Welcome to Higher Education Coffee and Conversation. I'm Cheryl Broom, CEO of Graduate Communications. Today's guest, Sarita Maben, is an international speaker, communication expert, author, and former university dean of students. In her 20-plus year speaking career, she has made it her mission to inspire others to embrace positivity, even amid the challenges of our ever-changing high-tech times. She has spoken in all 50 states, nine other countries, and on the prestigious TEDx stage, and has learned well that it is not just what you say, but how you say it that matters. She has some great lessons that will help anybody listening become a more thoughtful and a more successful communicator. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, Sarita, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for spending the time talking with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Cheryl, for having me. Now, you have had an amazing career. You've been a university dean. You are an international speaker, and you just released a new book. So really an amazing career, and I think that our listeners are going to learn so much from you uh, and all the things that you accomplished. So I want to start off by just asking you to, to share a little bit about yourself and how you became this international speaker and what led you to write your new book. Okay, very good. As you mentioned, I worked in higher education in my previous career, which was very enjoyable, worked at four different state universities. But the one thing that I noticed, the common denominator of all the jobs I had, which were all in student services, um, is I had a chance to speak in front of groups, uh, especially when I was director of new student programs in front of 500 new students and their parents, running many programs throughout the year. And I discovered that my real love was speaking and doing uh, staff developments. And so that's what led me to leave the university arena. Now it's been over 20 years and uh, started out as a contract trainer with a seminar company and then ultimately went out on my own. So that's kind of how it all came about. I discovered by accident that I had a knack for public speaking. And you have a career that I think a lot of people just dream of. We're still recovering from COVID right now. So I know you're not traveling as much, but you've gotten to travel the world. You've even been on the TEDx stage. Yes, yes, exactly. And you know, I have to laugh because I've not been on an airplane since February of 2020. And I thought surely by now I'd be curled up in a fetal position going through with trouble. <laughs> Somehow I've managed to survive even doing virtual presentations during this past year. But the thing that was that I had to laugh at, I was sharing with a friend just the other day that I did have a chance to do an in-person presentation back a couple months ago. I was supposed to go off to Austin, Texas. And they were going to film the program on a large stage in a ballroom with a few people in the audience and then stream it to 1,500 people. And the day that I was supposed to fly was the day that Texas had all of the storms and the airports closed. And so needless to say, I almost got to go to the airport, but I did not. And the reason I share that story is that I had to laugh at myself because I was more disappointed that I didn't get to go 
to the airport. I get to go to all my favorite shops in the Dallas Fort Worth airport to go to my cool little places that I love to visit. And so it occurred to me that what I really love most about the travel piece is getting to do fun stuff. Uh, Cause if you just go to your hotel and, and then go to the stage, what's the point? You might as well stay home. So I was laughing because I was like, oh, I'm so disappointed. I had all these cool things I was going to do when I went back out. We miss those little things. We miss the, even the trips to the airport and the airport shops. I really love how your speeches and your book really center around positivity and how to work together better. It really spoke to me when I was reading your book, that focus on How do we communicate to people when sometimes we don't have pleasant things to say, or maybe we're responding to criticism that's not so nice? And I bet in your university past, you probably were up against some situations like that. Yeah. You know, um, one of my favorite examples that I, I always love to share is how I had gone to a supervisor training when I was working in the university and they had told us you know, you should go back and ask your staff in your one-on-one meetings what they suggested for improving the department. And I remember I was all excited to go do that. And when I asked the employee what we could do better, he says, you could be a better boss. (laughs) And I can still feel the sting of that comment all these years later. But I actually remembered something that uh, one of my grad school mentors had told me, which was when you get criticism, ask for more. And I thought, well, okay, that sounds good. But on that day, when that employee said, you could be a better boss, I tried that strategy. And I said, oh, how do you mean? And that's what she, my mentor had meant by asking for more. You know, how do you mean? I could have said, you know, can you give me some examples? Can you elaborate? So that's kind of my favorite strategy. And on that day, my little evil twin was thinking, oh, he's insubordinate, write him up. You know, how dare he say that? <laughs> But um, when I asked him, I said, how do you mean? And he says, well, you know, some of us were talking and we realized we don't know what you think about how we're doing, like on a day-to-day basis. And of course, uh, all you folks in the university know that, you know, just trying to get through the to-do list, especially if you're in a supervisory role, is a full-time task. And so sometimes you don't always get out and about or give the feedback on a daily basis. And so I said, well, what do you suggest? And he said, well, maybe, you know, when we have our one-on-one meetings, you can give us like one thing we're doing well and one thing we need to work on. So I actually use that for my one-on-one meetings with all my staff. And I was just thinking, wow, I would have never thought of that. His idea was brilliant, but I also was cringing at the fact that if I had shut him down and said, how dare you say that, you know, that would have not been a good outcome. So that advice of when you get criticism, ask for more, that really served me on that day. That is such a good lesson because first of all, if somebody said that to me, you immediately go into the self-defense mode, right? Like you're attacked, you feel attacked, Mm -hmm. but they really weren't, he wasn't attacking you. They were really trying to give you feedback, but it just didn't come out well. (laughs) That's right. right. And and you know, uh, it's interesting that sometimes, well, I hate to say it, we all know people who don't take feedback well. And it's like, why even bother? And, and I certainly cringe to think that I could have been one of those people. I had to brace myself to um, address it and not get defensive. It's hard. Yeah, it is really hard. And that was um, part of your book that I really enjoyed reading is how your recommendations on how people can gracefully receive criticism. You know, most of our listeners 
besides like maybe my mom and my husband are in higher education. (laughs) And it is a fast moving, demanding job. And we're all humans and we make Mm -hmm. mistakes. You know, we're not robots. We're not machines. And we're working in an industry where we're serving people and mistakes are made and you will get criticized. Um, And so those are such important lessons. Do you have any other tips for people on how they can more gracefully receive criticism? Well, you know, one of the things I love to talk about, I have a little quote that I had heard years ago that I've tried to use as a mantra. And I frequently share this on my slides when I do my keynotes. And and that little mantra is speak in a way that people love listening to you. Right. And listen in a way that people love speaking to you. And so certainly that kind of goes back to what we were talking about is do people feel comfortable speaking to you and sharing concerns? Do they feel like you're going to really listen? So I always feel like that's a two-sided coin. And we always talk about how do you speak in a way that people love listening to you, but sometimes we forget the flip side of that. Yeah. And not just listening, but really hearing someone really taking Mm -hmm. the time to remove distractions, right? Don't have Mm -hmm. a phone in your hand. Don't be answering emails. That's the gift you can give to people is your time and your attention. That's right. And and it is a gift because with all the distractions and devices and multitasking we have going on right now, we need to make an intentional effort to uh, give someone our full attention because there's way too many distractions. Yeah. Speaking of distractions, when I worked at a community college, I felt that my full-time job was answering email. Mm, Like that mm -hmm. was what I did full-time and I couldn't even get through them in a day. The email culture was crazy. And I know you had a statistic in your book and I can't remember it now, but you had a really great statistic about how much time people spend emailing. Is it like 20%, 30% of their day? Yeah. And and probably going up with each day. I know. (laughs) Now that we're online all the time, we're emailing even more. Mm. And I have the problem and I continue to have the problem where I have a lot of clients now and I need them to answer my emails. I need them to read my emails. And you covered in your book, some of those tips on how to get your emails read in a nice way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is I learned the lesson originally. I think I talked in in my book about how my own sister did not respond to my emails (laughs) because she said, you didn't have bullets. And so I'm not going to answer your email. And she works in tech and has worked for over 20 years in the high tech arena. And they actually have very specific guidelines about how to send their emails. But one of the things she pointed out, which I later learned from a, I call them a guinea pig group that I uh, used as my uh, case study group when I was first beginning to talk about communicating online. But she was just talking about how when we communicate, we need to have bullet points, you know, either here's the three things that I need from you, one, two, and three, or at least bullet points if we don't have it numbered. Um, But one of the things I thought was really cool is she talks about the five sentences or less movement where the goal is to you know, see if you can keep your email to five sentences or less. And I was like, boy, I'm a professional speaker. I can't even barely say my name in five sentences or less. <laughs> well, and this kind of goes back to being a good listener and being conscious of other people because it might be easy for us as the person originating the email to put everything we need into that email because yeah. 
we just need to get it out. And then I think what happens on the other end is it overwhelms the person and they leave it in their inbox because they can't deal with it right away. Right. So it just sits there. Uh, And and I'm one of those people, if I don't know what they want and I don't have time to figure it out, I say, I'll come back to it later. And then I never do. Right. And so certainly one of the things I think is helpful for all of us is some sort of call to action. Like really, what do you want? You know, that's the question we're all asking. What do you want? With every email, that's, that's kind of what's, what we're thinking as well. Okay, here's this email. What do they want? And so somewhere we need to be really direct about saying what the reason we're emailing, even if we just have to say I'm emailing because and start out in that first sentence, letting them know the purpose And then something I don't think I addressed in my book is something that I'm starting to find more and more helpful is when someone puts in the subject line for your review or for Mm -hmm. your feedback or for your action or and some clue in the in the subject line of is this just FYI. So even doing a subject line heads up is helpful. That is a great tip. And I was just reflecting when you were talking, I had a, a friend and a former client send me this super long email this week on Monday and I could not deal with it. Like Sarita, I was just like, <laughs> she wanted me, she wanted a proposal, which is great. It's business. And I'm like, I can't deal with this. And so I just didn't respond. And she yep. called me and she's like, Cheryl, you always respond to me so quickly. Are you avoiding me? And I was like, yes, I am avoiding you. I'm sorry. I just can't digest this email. And a simple phone call. She just picked up the phone. And in like 10 minutes, she's like, this is what I need. I need X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, great. Oh my gosh. Thank you for calling me. I will get that to you by Friday. And you know, and, and that's a perfect example, Cheryl, of how we sometimes need to just pick up the phone, especially if it's something that I, I call it beyond the scope of an email because it requires some backstory or some explanation. And obviously we know there are times when there's sensitive situations that we don't want to put those or conflict resolution type things. We don't want to put that in an email, but sometimes the things that are a little bit long-winded, we might need to pick up the phone. So definitely something great for those of you listening to pick up Sarita's book and read the chapter about email and email culture, because it's really helpful. And you also have like over the years, surveyed people, asked people to tell you their pet peeves on email. So you've got like a wealth of knowledge about what people love and they hate about email. Any top pet peeves you've discovered over the years? (laughs) You know, we've already touched on a couple of those, of course, which is the long-winded emails that we don't even know what they want. Uh, Certainly that's a big pet peeve of a lot of people. But I think at the same time, I hear a lot of people say that people will keep emailing repetitively, not waiting. Not, they barely have a chance to read the first email when the second follow-up email has come in. Or worse is they email and then they text and then they message them. <laughs> That's, my like, That's my mom. That's my mom. It's like, really, do you need to send on five different platforms? Do you really need to Facebook message me to WhatsApp me, text me, email me? And left me a voicemail on top of that. (laughs) Yes. And here's my pet peeve. And I'm sure you've heard this, but you can file this in your listing of pet peeves. I hate it when people forget to blind copy. That's my pet peeve. And you've got a million different Mm -hmm. people receiving an email that don't need to get it. And they're all, you know, in the CC. So then people hit reply all. And then there's this big conversation flooding your inbox. That's right. That's right. And even worse about that is sometimes you're giving away people's email to others. And, And then the worst thing is I've actually had some people in an email thread take advantage of that opportunity and communicate with me about some other thing that they're pushing or marketing or promoting because now they have my email when really they didn't need to have my email in the first place. 
It all circles back to being conscious and thoughtful and mm-hmm. kind. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Kindness goes a long way. <laughs> it right. does go a long, long way. And speaking of kindness, you had a phrase in your book that I actually learned from a dean at Miracosta College, who was my dean when I taught in the communication studies department. Mm-hmm. She was giving a presentation once about how to get buy-in. And she mentioned in the presentation that if you want somebody to do something for you, you'll have better luck getting a positive response if you ask if they would be willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, that would you be willing to is phrase number five on my top 10 positive communication phrases, which is something I share uh, every every keynote I do. I Well, of course, when I was in person, now I'm virtual, but in person, I'd always leave uh, a little card on each seat at my keynotes with my top 10 phrases. And I love phrase number five because phrase number five is what one woman actually asked me one time was, Sarita, how do you pull rank when you have no rank to pull? Mm. And I thought, what a great question, because a lot of times we are needing to get buy-in, but we're not the person's boss. You know, we're not their supervisor. Uh, We may even be a colleague or we may even be trying to get some support from someone higher up in the organization. And so would you be willing to is a great phrase for that. And I always kind of jokingly say that that phrase has cousins and the cousins of that phrase are, you know, would you consider? Would it be possible to? You know, how about? Or as as a friend of mine likes to say, could you live with it if we did it this Mm. way? Oh, I like that. So those are all like cousins of the would you be willing to phrase. And I love those because it does give the other person a vote. Too often we dictate and demand and say, you need to, you better, you will. And would you be willing to gives them a vote to say yes. I started using that phrase after I heard her speak and it really Mm -hmm. changed things for me because first of all, most people are willing, they Mm -hmm. are willing to help. And I've had some people even come back and say, well, you know what? I am willing to help you, but I can only do this or, and so it does give them a little bit more power. Um, Mm -hmm. And I always felt like, wow, it was one of the most valuable phrases I had learned and it has served me well. And I loved that it was in your book with the other cousins, Mm -hmm. because sometimes an ask is just as simple as phrasing it the right way, using the right language. That's right. That's right. And I think most people want to have the opportunity to say yes and to help. As you say, most people are willing, but they don't like to be told or dictated to. Now for this person who asked you the question about rank, what advice did you give her? Because I literally get asked that question a lot by some of my clients who mm-hmm. feel that they aren't being heard on their campus, um, that they don't have enough authority to make some of the changes they want. I mean, how do you battle that? What is- yeah, well, you know, I think it's definitely in line with what we're talking about on that, uh, would you be willing to phrase? Because again, if we don't have the authority, we do have to get their buy-in and we do have to say, hey, I would appreciate being able to do this. You know, would you be willing to okay it or would you be willing to authorize it? Or would you be willing to allow me the time to dedicate to that project? I think that it's still back to getting the buy-in and asking that question. Um, I think also sometimes we do this, I call it the bossy big sister thing, which, you know, me being the oldest of four, I'm always wanting to say, well, here's what you need to do. Here's what you should do. Here's what you better do. And and so I think instead of saying that to say, you know, I would really appreciate your help on this. I'd really appreciate your support. So using phrases where we're requesting them to take the high road 
and requesting help from them because who doesn't like to help? Oh my gosh. What you said just really hit a chord with me because you said, would you be willing to give me the time to work on that project? Mm-hmm. And so many supervisors and bosses pile things and pile things and pile things. And then people get overwhelmed and they fail. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what a powerful way to acknowledge that you want to do something, but it is going to take time and That's respect right. your boss because they're the ones at the end of the day that have to help you prioritize. So you're That's kind of right. throwing it back on them. Would you be willing to give me the time to work on this? I want to accomplish this for you. I want to do it, but it is going to take some time, you know can I have that time? And that's such that's a right. great way to phrase that. Well, you know, and, and for me, that kind of resonates with me because I recall uh, when I was working in the university arena, I frequently raised my hand and volunteered to be on some committee. And that would, of course, take away time from my job. I, I remember one time I was on a campus-wide leadership conference uh, committee and you know, it was obviously going to be a time suck, for lack of a better word. And I and I had to ask my supervisor, you know, is this something that you'd be willing to allow me to do? Because there's going to be lots of meetings and there's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of other duties. So yeah. sometimes we need to, if we're going to do something outside of our traditional job description, you know, it's not in the other duties as assigned. We need to get some support on that. And for me, I, I found that to be one of my most fulfilling parts of working in higher ed is working cross-functional teams and committees and departments. Yeah, it is. It is the blessing and the curse of higher education <laughs> is the committee. <laughs> I know that's true. This piece, the old joke used to be send it to committee and there it will die. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And I actually had a uh, vice president who would do that, would mm. uh, purposely send things to committee. So to that kill them would off. die mm-hmm, to kill them <laughs> off. Exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, you're right. So I guess it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. I had an epiphany moment in education when I realized that at least at the institution I worked at, that collaboration and collegiality were valued more than efficiency. And when Ooh. I realized that I slowed down and was like, I'm not going to get things done as fast because that's not the value here. You know, it's so funny that you should say that because I did a a keynote yesterday morning and I was trying to pull together some fun visuals from my slides to put on social media. And one of my favorite slides has an African proverb, which you probably have heard before. And the proverb is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Wow. That definitely hits the nail on the head. Uh Uh-huh. And then, so when you said that, I thought that's exactly what that proverb is referring to, is that we may not be able to go as fast when we're working together, but in the end, we'll be able to go farther. So to go farther. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was one of the, uh, I was just looking at the visuals on that. Beautiful proverb. I love it. I was reflecting on my reporter days. And I think that's where my like rush, I have this, like, I gotta get it done. I gotta get it done because I was a news reporter and I had a deadline every day. 3.30 PM was my deadline for the five o'clock newscast. So it was like, wow, I'm by myself writing stories, recording stories. I have a deadline. If I miss my deadline, it's bad. It's really bad. So that's carried over. So you 
you yeah. were totally deadline driven and that was a make or break because when the news came on, if the story wasn't ready, I'm sure you were in deep trouble. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which, which actually is the antithesis of how things work in higher ed, because in higher ed, I vividly recall there were deadlines, but, you know, unless you're talking about HR and job applications, all other deadlines were subject to change. Exactly. There's, there really is no deadline. There are funding deadlines, though. Yes, yes. There, there are a lot of things that require uh, real deadlines. But as far as um, like working together on search committees, working mm-hmm. together on project planning committees, conference committees, you know, there were deadlines, but I always remember somehow they were fluid. Yeah, so they are. I can <laughs> see that would be a culture shock if you've been in the news world and then had to go to that. And I was so young. And I think that your your book kind of touched on this at one point. I I was so young when I came to the college. I mean, I guess I wasn't that young. I was 30. I felt, it feels like that's, now that I'm older, I'm like, I was so young. <laughs> you know? It's all relevant. Yeah, right? it really is. But I like wanted to flex my muscles and I wanted to show everybody that I was super smart and, you know, and uh, I turned a lot of people off doing that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh that's a whole commentary in itself of the muscle flexing because mm-hmm. we all everybody, you know, I, I always found and not just in the university, but you know, now that I've been in the speaking arena, I love the university folks and they're my peeps, but I found myself over the last 20 years speaking to all different kinds of groups. And I find it's the same. You know, there's people in all different organizations wanting to use their expertise because people are saying, well, hey, that's why they hired me because I have this expertise. But then unfortunately, the organizational norms and the politics and all of that stuff kind of gets in the way. Yeah. And what I learned was by trying to push and show people how, you know, great I am that I got less accomplished Mm -hmm. um, and there was kind of less trust. And so I had to do a lot of reflection and change the way I communicated Mm-hmm. to be a little more thoughtful, to listen more. Mm-hmm. Um, and once that happened, things really changed. It became very positive. Yeah. And I hate to keep throwing out quotes because I really am the quote meister, but I will share another quote that I quote obsessively, which is the John Maxwell quote, you know, the leadership guru, John Maxwell says, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Right. And that is a quote that it sounds cliche, but it's so true. And much like you, I remember in the university, I would just bogart right on in and say, let's get the task done. And I really had to step back and at least say, you know, how are you doing? How are, how's the week going? Uh, because my inclination is to be more task focused. And I realized sometimes people just want you to say, hey, how's your day? How's it going? Before you walk in and go, hey, I need this report tomorrow. Exactly. So, yeah, now, that's where I had to temper my uh, approach a little. Um, and the other thing that I talk about in terms of being more approachable online, we were talking about communicating online. I always tell people that please and thank you are still the magic words. Mm-hmm. And online, sometimes we're not as approachable or as warm and fuzzy because it's technology. And so I always say it certainly goes a lot further if you can say, no, please get back to me by the end of the day versus get back to me by the end of the day. So the please and thank you is a great way to soften the communication, especially when we're online and don't have the benefit of the nonverbals and the body uh, gestures and so forth. And we all have heard from our moms to mind your please and thank yous. And your TED talk was about your mom and the lessons you learned from her. And please and thank you is on the top of the list. (laughs) (laughs) That 
exactly right. Yeah, in fact, um, I got a kick out of, of doing my TED Talk in 2012, which I can't believe it's been a while now. And one of the things that I shared, which is also the way I open almost every presentation, is by sharing the, the age-old wisdom that we've all heard. If you can't say something nice... And people all know, don't say anything at all. <laughs> right. But uh, that was something that my mom did teach me, which of course is about tact and respect and uh, allowing people to save face. And, and those are all good things. And we also have to, at some point, address things that are uncomfortable in spite of that mantra. So we sometimes have to figure out, you know, how do we say it, even if it's not so nice. And so there was kind of an interesting love-hate relationship I had with some of the wisdom when I was a young working person, because sometimes we did need to speak up. There were times when we had to say something that was not so nice. Yeah. And that's my struggle. That is my ongoing struggle is I like him a nice person and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. It is such a struggle for me when I do have something negative to share or somebody didn't hit the mark maybe in a design that we're doing or a project we're doing. And it, it is a struggle to be kind and give criticism. And sometimes mm -hmm. I just want to avoid it. And that's not yeah. the answer either. It's not good to avoid it. <laughs> I know. And, and most of us would rather not, yeah. you know, most of us would rather not have to say something mean. Um, now, certainly there are those people that really just say whatever comes to their mind and probably hurt feelings and destroy relationships left and right. And we definitely don't want to be that person. But I do think there's a happy medium in between being aggressive and overbearing and obnoxious and being kind of wimpy and passive and not saying anything. And I'm now dating myself, but some of you will remember the good old assertiveness 101 from the dark ages of the importance of saying, you know, I'm concerned that this is going to delay us versus you need to get it done on time. I think sometimes when we tell people the impact of their behavior, that's a, a useful tool as well. And funny thing, in, in my first book, which is now over a decade old, but the principles were still universal, my first book called, If You Can't Say Something Nice, What Do You Say? I talk about a three-step process called AIR. A-I-R, and the A stands for awareness. Are they even aware that there's a problem? And the I is the impact, and the R is the request. So it's like saying, no, you may not realize that when you come late and the students wait, you know, they become frustrated. And I would appreciate your getting in a little early next time. So you're saying, hey, you may, may not realize the impact of this. You may not know that this is what happens when you're late. And in the future, can you please let me know if you're going to be delayed? So Very nice. awareness, yeah. impact, and request is um, something I talk about in the first Awareness, book. impact, and request. That is great advice. I did this to one of my employees last week because she missed a deadline. And I, mm -hmm. and I like her so much. And, but I said, you know, these, the deadlines that we put in for the projects are important because when you miss the deadline, then I miss my deadline with the client. That's right. And that impacts the client. So if this happens again, could you please give me a heads up? We can find mm -hmm. another solution um, rather than just letting the deadline pass. And I was like, what am I going to say? Because I was mad. Like, I'm like, I'm mad that she missed this deadline. I'm mad. Understandably, understandably mad. Yeah. But it worked. It worked. And it was a positive conversation. And she apologized and said, yes, of course. And I think that was a good way to deal with it. And I didn't even know I had employed your AIR acronym. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, you know, it's so interesting because I think 
a lot of people just don't know the impact of their behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I find that a lot of times we're kind of stewing over something and we're becoming more and more angry and the other person has no clue that there's a problem. So that's the reason we might use the A for awareness is cluing them in. Yeah, because sometimes we just project our own frustrations and feelings onto somebody else. That's right. That's right. And make assumptions. So, well, I really, really enjoyed your book. So I'm going to let our listeners know how they can find you. I know it's on Amazon. You have a website as well. If people want to get in touch with you, if colleges are interested in having you speak, are you heading back on the road in 2021 or 2022? I am actually, I think my first on the road engagement is August right now, Uh, but certainly saritamaben.com is uh, my website. And then Sarita at SaritaMaven.com is my email. And of course, both books say what you mean in a nice way. And then if you can't say something nice, what do you say? They're both on Amazon and also both in Kindle. And, And my first book, I actually had the pleasure of in 2015, I narrated the audiobook, And so it's on Audible. And uh, I hope to do that with a new book uh, sometime in the next year. But right now, the first book is on Audible. Well, that's great. And I think you have so many wonderful lessons, so many simple lessons that we forget about in our Mm -hmm. busy lives, you know, to practice kindness, to be a good listener, to watch the way you phrase things, to think of other people. So many good reminders for how we can be better communicators. And at the end of the day, accomplish more because of it. Yes, yes. And that's really the goal. And hey, by the way, I do want to offer the listeners a PDF with 50 phrases for all occasions. Uh, That's something that you can get from my website. If you go there and uh, there's a place to sign up for my once a month, what do you say, communique, and you will get the uh, PDF with the 50 phrases. Or you can text Sarita Talk to 22828, Sarita Talk, and you'll automatically get the PDF that way too. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm going on your website when we get off this call <laughs> and I'm signing up. <laughs> Yay! I need that monthly reminder and I want to see those phrases. So right. thank you, Cheryl. I appreciate it. Well, it's so great to catch up with you and to chat with you about this. And I really appreciate your time. And I hope that the listeners take advantage of going to your site and hopefully some of them may even have you on campus one day. Yeah, no, that would be great. I love it. Always nice to be back on university campuses. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Higher Education Coffee and Conversation. If you like the podcast, please leave me a five-star rating. And to discover more great higher education-related content, make sure to visit us at graduatecommunications.com. And with that, I'm going to say thank you for listening. Thank you for the hard work you do for students each and every day.